The presenting sponsor of Top Docs is Netflix. With the Oscar nominations announced and voting just around the corner, we want to call your attention to our interviews with Academy Award-nominated filmmakers. For example, check out our conversation with Anne Alvergay and Deborah McClutchy about their film, The Martha Mitchell Effect. Martha Mitchell, the wife of former Attorney General and Nixon campaign chief John Mitchell, was dismissed at the time of Watergate as being crazy and even a drunk. She was, in fact, the victim of a well-planned gaslighting campaign hatched by Nixon, his top aides, and even her own husband. Stunning in its revelations and highly immersive in its cinematic approach, this powerful film will grant you a new perspective on those dark days of American history. You can watch The Martha Mitchell Effect now on Netflix. Hi, I'm Ken Jacobson, and welcome to Top Docs, live here at the 2023 Sundance Film Festival. I'm thrilled to be here at Portrait House, sponsored by Portrait, the new creative alternative to LinkedIn for the filmmaking community. And I'm absolutely thrilled to be joined by Luke Lawrenson, the director of A Still Small Voice. Luke, welcome to Top Docs. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. The film is brand new, just had the world premiere last night here at Sundance. Can you give us a brief logline of your new film? <laughs> yes. It, the film follows Mati, who is completing a residency in spiritual care at the Mount Sinai Hospital in New York City, as well as the supervisor of the program, David. And it tracks a full year of learning how to do spiritual care work. We started shooting in the fall of 2020 and, and filmed through the summer of 2021. So you were here at Sundance in 2019 with your terrific film, Midnight Family, which is about a family that runs an ambulance company in Mexico City. What's striking, of course, is that Midnight Family primarily showed everything that happened outside of hospitals, yeah. whereas your new film, A Still Small Voice, takes place mostly inside one particular hospital. What made you want to go inside a hospital and make a film like you've made? The films are related in that way. And also the ideas came from vastly different places. The starting point for this film was really my sister who works as a hospital chaplain. She planted the idea in my head in, around in 2019 as she was beginning to do the work. And it were these profound conversations that she was having with her patients, but also the profession has an enormous amount of reflection and processing baked into how it's set up, especially the residency. And that felt very ripe for a film that could explore the action of the work and the reflection of it. So yes, Claire is the sort of starting point of this film. <laughs> so as you mentioned, the two main characters in the film are Mati, who's doing her residency in spiritual care at the Mount Sinai Hospital in New York City, and her supervisor, David. What drew you to these two characters? In developing the film, I spoke with maybe as many as 100 chaplains all around the country looking for the right place to make the film. And it was really the first conversation that I had with Amy Strano, who's the director of the program at Mount Sinai, that I felt like this project was possible. She had, from the very beginning, an enormous amount of curiosity and openness to start talking about what a film like this could be. Chaplaincy is a really unseen profession. 
even people who work in the hospital with chaplains don't fully understand often what they do. And I think there was a deep desire for the work to be seen, especially coming after the first wave of the pandemic, chaplains were so crucial to providing care and attention and had never really gotten, not the credit for it, but understanding of what the work was. So Amy let me in the door and David was the director of the residency itself. And it really began with a one week scout shoot where I was on site trying out the filming and beginning to build trust with him and the cohort of residents. Mati was one of the four in the cohort and just from the beginning had a rigor and an intensity to how she approaches the work, how she talks about the work that was really captivating to me and began this year-long process of working together. Yeah, Mati is truly captivating. And one reason is we see her kind of learning as she goes. You know, there are several really intense scenes in which we see her spending one-on-one -on -one time with patients either in person or on the phone, counseling them through very difficult moments, usually facing the possibility of their own death or dealing with the death of a close relative. Obviously, this is incredibly difficult work to do. What do you think was the most important thing about her approach to each one of these situations? What struck you about Mati in the room with these patients or on the phone? Such a good question. I think there's real talent there. And this is something that I started to understand as I was beginning the film, talking to so many different chaplains and shooting with lots of different chaplains to try out the film. And with Mati, like she walks into the room with a patient and you just feel this focus and this sense of being present that is powerful and palpable and I think also very cinematic. Chaplaincy is in part a craft of creating space and creating an environment for a patient to explore what they're going through. And Mati has a way of pulling that off that's miraculous. And I think it comes back to this, it's a sense of presence and the density to how she enters a room. It can be as simple as just like how she makes eye contact. Like she, there's no sort of beating around the bush. She sort of locks in. She's very intense. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and that is a really vulnerable and difficult thing to do, to walk into the room and really give yourself to another person you've never met sometimes. It's sort of walking out on a plank every time. One of the really enriching things about the film is the aesthetic. In my mind, it's more of a European film aesthetic. And what I'm referring to is that many of the scenes play long. And this really gives the audience a chance to feel the weight, I think, of these moments, especially in hospital rooms. Can you talk about how you decided you were going to approach the film from a temporal yeah. point of view? Also, a really great question and something that was very tricky. My, my last film was like very much an adrenaline rush. Scenes were short. It moved very quickly. There are car chases and car accidents. And this one aesthetically has some of the same principles, but the time at which it unfolds is very different. And 
it took a lot of trial and error in the edit to create a structure that allowed scenes to play long. And a lot of those moments when cut down lost their magic. The sense of space that Mati is creating and the complexity of everything that was unfolding needed several minutes to develop and unfold. And from a starting point, the first shot of the film is a single take that's about four minutes long. And that's me as an editor saying, chill out. This is going to be a movie that moves more slowly and calibrates, hopefully, the audience to slow down and appreciate that pacing. The film ended up, I think, feeling much quicker and much tighter once there was the right expectation. But there's a, just for example, there's a phone call where we're just with Mati and it's about an eight minute scene. It couldn't have been shorter while holding the sort of core feelings that I wanted to get across there. So it was very tricky to, again, create an environment in the film and the edit that allowed the most special moments that I filmed to really play out in full. It's a very effective strategy and it's very affecting. It also made me think about you being in the room too, filming these scenes. And this is a very intense film. It's shot during COVID entirely. Is that correct? It, yeah. It was, I got into the hospital really right after the first wave in New York City. I don't think of it as a COVID film, but it is very much a response to this moment. And I think of it as a film that's sort of directly addressing the feelings and experiences of what we all have been going through, but healthcare workers in particular. But the pandemic is only mentioned once in the film in a very sort of brief way. For me, it was this off-camera character that I was aware of, but as you said, it's not what the film is about, but certainly it's a challenge for the people we see in the film, and I'm sure for you making the film. I'm just curious if you, being in those spaces with Mati and with her supervisor, if any of their modes of communication and their perspectives and their reflectiveness, which you mentioned earlier, rubbed off on you as a film crew. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think one of the most surprising and meaningful discoveries while making the film is that I also went through the residency. I was there for it in full and really learned spiritual care right there alongside Mati under the supervision of David and integrated those principles into the filmmaking. And I think the strongest, most beautiful moments in the film are moments where Mati and I are collaborating around a very shared language and understanding of what the work of a chaplain is. And those lessons and principles have really, I think it's, it's, applied to everyday life in a really beautiful way. It's not a self-help movie, but I think it has elements and teachings that, at least for me, will really stick with me. I'm sure they will stick with me and with anyone who sees the film. Another theme of the film is mentorship. And mentorships are great, but they also can be fraught and yeah. from both perspectives. Without giving away key plot points in the film, as you were observing several pairs of supervisors and their supervisees, was there anything that surprised you about the limits of mentorship? A couple of things that I would say to that. Really, the residency is the final step before these residents become board-certified chaplains. There's multiple steps and things to go through. You, then you get to the residency and then you spread your wings. And Chaplaincy is not a profession where there's a single way to do it. 
And part of the residency is developing your own style and your own approach. I think you can see in the film differences of opinion and how the work should be done and that being challenging and at its best, very productive, but also difficult. David, the supervisor of the program, also meets with somebody to learn about what he's struggling with and developing as well. Her name is Megs. She's a very senior chaplain educator in New York. And she said, being an imperfect parent teaches your kids to grow up in an imperfect world. <laughs> and I think that really resonated with me. Absolutely. And it's also just the film is very educational. I'm getting to watch two people on Zoom trying to work through issues and have someone advise somebody who's going through a difficult process, either learning to be a chaplain or supervising people in the program. There's just so many takeaways and also just it's never easy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> My last question. This is a film about chaplains or chaplains in training, if you will. So one of the things they do quite frequently is pray mm -hmm. with their patients. Human beings are presumably the only living creatures on earth that pray. Perhaps not, but <laughs> it does seem to be a uniquely human thing. And it's a fascinating process, prayer. I'm just curious, from a personal perspective, over the course of the film, did you find yourself contemplating or reevaluating the role of prayer in your own life? Thank you for all these questions. These are like really special ones, that one in particular. I don't come from a sort of strong spiritual background. And I, when I was beginning the film, was much more interested in like the emotional support, building emotional intelligence. That was a space that I was more comfortable in. And it took time to open myself up to the possibilities of prayer and spirituality. And it really was just time and time again, having these experiences with Mati in patients' rooms where prayer was a very practical and successful tool in acknowledging somebody's experience and giving voice to just what was happening. And you could feel a shift in people's demeanor. You could see visually shoulders drop. It's an intervention. It really has this like physical component. Mati in the film really is also questioning her own spirituality and has both real frustration with, with God and at the same time finds spiritual practices to be too nourishing to just throw out entirely. That continues to leave me very curious and open to how belief systems have a real function to them. That in the hospital you can see them save people's lives. Like it, it's not just stories and traditions. It really is connected to physical and the healing effect, I think, can't be denied. Well, Luke, A Still Small Voice is a beautiful film. It's intimate, but it also packs a powerful emotional punch. And I'm sure you can't wait to share it with audiences. So congratulations on the premiere here at Sundance. And thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. We want to take a moment to thank our friends at Portrait for hosting these conversations at Sundance. Portrait is the creative alternative to LinkedIn for filmmakers. Apply to join their beta at onportrait.com. That's all one word, www.onportrait.com. 